You got any friends like that? I got some friends like that. They would leave me there holding their shoe on this landmine while they took off running. Sean, Pastor Sean was watching that video this morning, and I realized the quality was HD. But uh, we ripped that off the internet. But he was watching that this morning, and, and he was like, no, if you step on a landmine, I want to be really far away as you try to get out of it. And, uh, and I've got friends like that, and so I'm thankful for that. Hey, why don't you do this? Take your phone out. If you have a cell phone, take your cell phone out. It's okay. You're not going to go to hell for taking your phone out in church because most of you are on Facebook anyway. While I'm talking, uh, when, when you post something and it says like 11, 10 a.m., but I saw you at church, like I know, right? Facebook has time zone awareness there. Well, uh, take your phone out. And if you have a cell phone that has a camera, turn that camera on for me. If you don't, that's okay. Uh, but if you've got a, a cell phone that has a camera on it, I want you to take that out and I want you to turn your phone on. And so I'm, I'm kind of snapping a picture here of you guys. Um, let's see if I can take this picture. Yeah, it's really bright there. I don't know if you can tell, but, uh, so you're taking a picture of me over here. I saw the flash go off. Now here's what I want you to do. All right. I want you to take, don't take a picture of me, but let me just say, if you do, it'd look pretty good. Right. Uh, it would look like those pictures that you have in the frames when you buy them. Does anybody else just buy those and leave those in the frame and just put them in your house? You're like, they look better than my family. So I'll just leave. No, <coughs> no not me. Uh, other people that I've heard of. So take your camera phone that you have. And I want you just to take a picture of yourself. All right. So I'm going to take a picture of myself here. Um, I'm going to turn this around with you guys in the background here. So I'm taking a picture. Hey, what's up? All right. So take a picture of yourself. <coughs> and, and, and what you just did there, for those that may not be aware, that's called a self shot or a selfie. And, and statistics tell us that per day, there are over 1 million selfies that are taken and posted to social media sites like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And they say, statistics do, and I don't know who who made this statistic up, uh, but that somebody says that over one-third of all the pictures taken by 18 to 24-year-olds are selfies. Over one-third, okay? I read an article from, from a newspaper over in England where there was a guy who took over a hundred selfies per day. He was like addicted to it. Has anybody read this story of this crazy guy? And this is the sad part. Like he was, he couldn't take the perfect selfie. And so he attempted suicide. Like he was addicted to taking the perfect selfie, right? So here's what I want you to do. If you, if you took a picture, um, I don't know if you saw this, but at the Oscars this year, Ellen DeGeneres, she took like the prettiest selfie ever. Uh, with people, pretty pe- people in there. There's, well, there's some ugly people too, but there's some pretty people in that picture. Um, like some of you, you took your picture. You didn't realize there were ugly people behind you either. But, um, but no, there, this was at the Oscars. And what happened is she took this picture and, and I think actually Bradley Cooper took that picture. And I don't want to leave that up there too long because my wife's kind of got a crush on him. But um, he took that picture and they posted it and it was retweeted or shared on Twitter over 3.4 million times in the matter of just a few minutes. It like broke Twitter. Um, so here's what I want you to do. We're going to put this up on the screen. If you have a social media site attached to your phone, I want you to type this in and upload the picture you just took. My pastor asked us to take and post this during church today. Ask me why. Hashtag MP and selfie. So if you'll do that real quick, that would be awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, so you're, you're uploading the picture you just took and you're attaching this comment to it. So if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to see my picture here later today. Um, so here we go. I'm typing that in my pastor, which maybe I should just say me. I asked me, um, my pastor asked me, here we go. So we're all doing this to take and post this during 
church today. Ask me why. Hashtag MPN selfie. All right, so, oh, that says MP Elfie. Uh, so you guys go ahead. Some of you are slower typing. I understand that. You feel free to, uh, to take your time. If you could finish before the end of the service, that would be awesome. But um, this, is, this is a selfie that we took. And if you're done, like if you're one of those 18 to 24-year-olds and you can't type 10 words a minute on a computer, but you can type 1,000 words a minute on your phone uh, with your thumbs, like you, you have the strongest muscles in your body are right here. Like these are the strongest. If you've already taken your picture. Now, what I want you to do is lean over and take a picture with somebody else. Just somebody beside you. Introduce yourself and don't just take a random picture of them across the room. But just lean over and say, hey, can we get a picture together? And just snap a picture of the two or three of you. Um, That would be awesome. So we'll leave this up for a second for those that are still typing. You can put it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anything you've got that you want to. um, Just post that. Make sure you use the hashtag there. Uh, and that would be that would be great. Now, what you're doing is you're taking a selfie, right? And even the ones that you're taking with someone else, once you snap that picture, some of the husbands are mad that the wives are making them take these pictures together. Once you snap that picture, something interesting happens when you review the picture, right? Does anybody know what you do? You look at the picture. What picture do you look at? You look at you or you look at them? You look at you, right? You took the picture, and there's more than one person in the picture, but when, when I'm looking here, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I, I need to smile a little better. Man, my, hair's out of, my hair is actually out of place today. I, I'm not really, so you're looking at you, and you're filtering the success or failure of the picture based on how you look in the picture, right? Will anybody just amen me right there? You're, just, you're being honest? All right. So some of you are liars. That's okay. But you're taking the picture, and you're viewing the picture as a success or a failure, that's a good picture, that's a bad picture. Not based on anything else in the picture except you, right? And that's why when you take a selfie, you're only able to filter that through you. You're only able to think about it through you. And so what we're doing today is, is we're going to look at this idea of love is unselfish. For the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at love is out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind of the love chapter of the Bible. And when I started thinking about unselfish, I started thinking about selfishness. Now, taking a picture of yourself and looking at a picture of yourself in a group picture, that doesn't make you selfish. It makes you human. But we do want to look at this idea of, of self-seeking love, selfish love, being self-centered even sometimes in our love. And so we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. We're going to begin reading in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, you already have your phone out. You can go to a, a Bible app if you want to, or this will be up on the screen. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is this love chapter. And there's about four verses that we are going to focus on and have been focusing on over the last few weeks that help us to get a, a, a proper understanding, a proper definition of love. And so let's read in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Let's read this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I want to read the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5 in a different translation. What we just read right there was the NIV, but in the New Living Translation it says this. It says, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. 
So in the first version, in, in the NIV, it said love is not self-seeking. In the New Living, it says love does not demand its own way. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You know, I, we, we sang about it today. We prayed about it just a moment ago. But our definition of love in, in our culture, in our society, is so incredibly messed up. Would you agree with me? I mean, we, we have this really warped sense of love because... And I said this a few weeks ago, I won't rehash all of that, but I mean, we love a lot of things and we're kind of limited to the one English word that we have to describe this emotional connection that we have towards so many things. We love our spouse, we love our family, we love favorite foods or hobbies or sports teams or whatever. So we're a little skewed in that. But even beyond that, those that have used the word love to express their emotions towards us have then done things to us that don't feel very loving, right? Anybody ever had somebody that told you they loved you and then they did something and you started to question whether or not they actually loved you based on their actions? I mean, that's something that we, we experience. Some of us are guilty of that. I mean, we have, we have relationships that we are deeply emotionally connected to and we say or we hear, I love you. And then the actions of that relationship don't always match up with the words that we've used to describe that relationship. And so when we go to 1 Corinthians 13 and we read this perfect definition of love, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's quoted, it's read at, at weddings. We, we sometimes see it in different things that are hanging in our houses. We, we read it, we listen to sermons about it, and it sounds so incredibly impossible, does it not? Love is patient. Okay, I'm going to try to be patient. Love is kind. And Pastor Justin did an incredible job last week of challenging us not to just do kindness, but to be kind. So it's kind. Okay, I'll try that. It doesn't envy. Okay. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I mean, by now we're all out, right? I mean, none of us can keep this. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How do you do that? <laughs> Right? It's just, it just in our head, we thought, well, you know, fool me once. Right? I mean, you just, it's, it's in there. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it, this is impossible now. It, it's, it's just increasingly more and more difficult, but now it's almost impossible. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love is all of those things. I'm not sure that I love chicken fajitas anymore then, right? Because I don't think I feel those ways. I'm not sure some of the relationships that I've used the word love in, that if this is what love is, then I'm not sure that I actually meant it that way. But it's, it's so messed up because in our culture, in our relationships, I mean, with the, the high, 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 increasingly higher rate of divorce, we see people, and this is not to preach against any of you that have been divorced, but we see people that stand at an altar, stand in front of someone and say, I'm entering a covenant relationship with you for better or worse. And then one or the other or both said, but I actually meant up to a certain point and now I'm out. We see moms and dads that say to their kids, I love you, and then they mistreat their children. We see relationships where the word love is thrown around so easily, but then there's different forms of abuse that takes place in the name of love. 
And we're so conditionally based to say, okay, yeah, I do love, but only if all the circumstances feel right. Right? If it fits okay, if it feels good, if it, if it passes the eyeball test, if it doesn't give me that weird feeling in my stomach, then yeah, I love. And I referenced Pastor Justin last week. He talked about how we are to, to not just do kindness, but to be kind. And I think what's interesting is that that's, you're kind of preempting your desire to be kind by just doing kindness. It kind of, it's a cyclical thing where to, to be more kind, you do more kindness. And as you do more kindness, you are more kind. And I think when we, when we look at love, what's been so ingrained in us from such an early age is the conditional basis of love. It's like, I love you as long as those conditions are met. And so again, when we, we just sang about it, we just prayed about it, we talked about it, but then we take that kind of love and that context of love and we put that on our relationship with God and we say, okay, I guess God loves me the same way. I guess God loves me as long as I meet the condition, as, as long as I'm good enough, as long as I do these nine things, as long as I keep the Ten Commandments, as long as I this and that and that and that. I worked a job when I was in high school. I worked at a golf course. It was kind of the best fit for me because I got out early. I had kind of early dismissal from high school. Um, when I transferred in, I had enough credits to graduate, but I had to take some senior classes. And so I got out at like 1030 every day. And then I had to go back for baseball practice at like 2.30 every day. So I had like four hours and my parents thought, eh, you don't need to be sitting home for four hours every day. So why don't you get a job? So I went to a local golf course and I was like a cart guy from 10.30 to about, or 10.45 to about 2.15. And we had an assistant golf pro there. And, and his name was Chip. And Chip was hilarious because Chip was convinced he was going to be like the next great golfer. One little issue. He wasn't very good. Uh, but Chip also had some kind of wrestling matches with theology and philosophy that he just, he kind of externally processed all those things. And one of his biggest deals with Christianity was that God could not expect perfection out of you. He said, you know, we're given the Ten Commandments, but I mean, like in school, you know, you just had to pass. So, I mean, six out of ten, like that's all God can really expect from me, right? I mean, if I do six out of 10, maybe seven out of 10, if I get a C, if I pull a C on the 10 commandments, surely that's passing. That's good enough because he, in his head, just like many of us had this idea that we have to earn the love of God. We have to earn the acceptance of God. And then we take even that, whether that prompted us to think it about God or that prompts us to think it about the human relationships we're in, we take that and now every relationship we have says that I will love you as long as you make me feel this way. I will love you as long as you help me do these things. I will love you as long as you continue to provide the service that you have provided to me up to now. And here's the problem with that. That's selfish love, right? Any love based in that kind of context, that kind of definition says, I'm loving you as long as I'm receiving something. I'm loving you as long as it's benefiting me. It's selfish love. When we love other people, sometimes we love the version of them that we want them to be. I ran across this quote last week. It actually was somebody in our congregation that, that, that posted this, and I, I saw it, and I thought this was incredible. This is what it says, The beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves. And not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. 
The, the beginning of love is to let those who we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. I thought that was incredible because I know we're all guilty of that. We, we love, but we love the potential we see. And so then we're wanting to kind of form them into the version that we think would be suiting to us. You know, any kind of love that's based in that is selfish love. Because it's all about how it benefits me. It's all about the way that I feel, the way that I think this should go. And then we just read that love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not about, I love you for what I can get out of this transaction. Love is not self-seeking. If we were to try to figure out, what's the, what's the, the example of this kind of non-self-seeking love? What, what's, a, what's an example in Scripture that we could, we could look to, we could find that says, I, I love you and it's not about what I get out of this? You could go to a lot of examples, but I think one of the best examples is to go to the life of Jesus Christ in the book of John. You know, Jesus, if we're to call ourselves Christians, for those that do, for those that have already kind of made a decision, entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to say I'm a Christian means I'm a little Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you don't really have to look much further in life than to these stories that we have in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to read about the things that Jesus did while he was on earth. And see how he loved and how he served and how he just taught and how he did miracles and how he honored the father and how he treated other people. And late in his life, he was with his closest followers. I mean, this is really just just before he goes to the cross. And he's with those closest followers, the disciples. And he does something that makes no sense. It kind of actually makes us a little uncomfortable here in present day to think about doing something like this. But they were at a meal together, the Last Supper. They were together, and he stood up from the dinner table. Says that he he took kind of his his cloak or his shirt there, and he tied it around his waist. And he went down the line, and he began to take a towel and some water and wash their feet. Now, in that day, obviously, there was a a custom of, of washing feet or of making sure that your feet were clean because you were walking with sandals and it was dirty and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, there might be something as you walked into the door of a home, there might be a place there where you could make sure that as you walked in, you were taking, you were moving your sandals sometimes, you were cleaning your own feet, you were making sure that you weren't, you know, tracking in mud and all the things that even today we might do. But they, there was a custom to do some things like that. But this was very out of the ordinary, what Jesus was doing. So much so that Peter, a guy that always spoke up, said to Jesus, what are you doing? Are you washing our feet? You will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you don't understand. I have to. I have to do this. And so Jesus begins to wash the feet of those who were following him. Now, again, it's probably not a huge mental leap for us to understand this, but these guys looked to Jesus as their leader. Not just the son of God, not just Jesus, the Messiah that we know him to be. They had some idea about this, but Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. They had never experienced an Easter Sunday yet. They didn't know that death wasn't more powerful than him dying. That that, that God's power wasn't more powerful than him dying. They didn't know that. 
They, they didn't know other than what they had seen with the miracles that they saw him perform. They didn't know other than the teaching that they'd heard him declare with his own mouth. They didn't know other than what he was saying to them. And they truly had to believe by faith. But he was something special. And they had staked their lives on the idea that there was something about following after him that was worth it. And then here he is in this moment, kneeling himself to serve them. And he washes their feet. And this is what he says after they have objected in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12. This is the message translation, very conversational version of scripture. This is what it says in John 13, beginning in 12. It says, then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. So now everybody take your shoes off. We're going to, no, I'm just kidding. Jesus is saying here, listen, you're, you're following me. You see me as the master and the teacher. You, and you're right. I am those things. And yet I have to do this in order to serve you. I have to do this to set the example of what it means to actually be in proper relationship with one another. And so he performs this act of washing their feet. And then he says this incredible thing there at the end of what we read, verse 17. He says, if you understand what I'm telling you, then act like it. And live a blessed life. He says, I've set a pattern for you. I have shown you what you're supposed to do. In a moment where it should have been about Jesus. Jesus made it about them. I mean, he's about to go to the cross. It's the end of his life. It's the culmination of all the things. I mean, like, it, we are, if you, if you played this out like a movie, we are moving towards the climax of the story, right? Here we go. The cross is, is, is coming and Easter's coming after that, and the resurrection, and then it's, it's right there in front of us. And Jesus has gathered these closest guys with him, and he says, okay, this is kind of the end. Like, we're, we're coming to a close. As a part of this entire narrative, he tells Judas to go and do what he's got to do, and Judas goes, and he's going to kind of betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We're coming here. All the storylines are intersecting, and in a moment when it should have been about Jesus, Jesus said, I want to make it about you. Here's the way I would redefine or, or, or just define unselfish love. The example that Jesus shown us here. It's making it about them when it could be about you. I think that's the filter. When I love somebody in an unselfish way, I'm saying I want to make it about you when it could be about me. It could be about me right here, but I want to make it about you. I'm going to follow the pattern of Jesus. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. I'm trying to understand what he was saying, what he was doing, what he was demonstrating with his disciples. But in a moment when it should have been about him, he made it about them. And so I want to love in that way. I want to find really tangible ways to find, uh, to allow for those moments in relationship with those I say I love to make it about them. I, I want to kind of push aside my own desires and wants. 
I'm going to kind of lay aside all the things that I feel like would be self-serving here. And I'm going to make sure that it's about them. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, there's a wrestling match in our heart when we hear that. We think, yeah, but I mean, there's certain limits on that. I mean, we don't want to be a pushover, right? I mean, there, there's some things we, yeah, up to a certain, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the disclaimers. I can't find the out clause. I just, I just see him saying, hey, when it could have been about me, I want to make it about you. When it could have been about me, I want to make it about you. I mean, that, those kinds of wrestling matches are where we struggle a lot in our life. I mean, we get in these moments where we want to do something, but it, we're nervous. We're uncertain how it's going to turn out. I mean, we, we want to invite somebody to church, but maybe they'll say no. What if they think I'm crazy? What if they... It could be about me and what I'm feeling, but I'm going to put that aside and make it about them. I think they need to be in a room where they can experience the presence and the power of God, his love. We, we, we get in all kinds of situations where we go, oh yeah, but man, I don't, that doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't think I'm, I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm a little anxious. It could be about you. I think he would say it might need to be about them. Last Saturday, my son Cooper, who's nine, and I were, um, we were going to his baseball game. My wife had our other three kids, and they were going to a different park for baseball, and then we were going to meet up. And so um, Cooper and I, had, we were stopping. We left our house, and we were stopping at Wendy's to pick up some lunch on our way to the ballpark. And uh, there's a Wendy's not too far from our house, so we swung through the drive through there, and we got there, and we placed our order very, very quickly. And after we placed our order, you know, some restaurants have the first window that you're actually supposed to stop at. And then some people have the first window that's just storage for them. And then the second window is where they do all the business, right? So this one was, hey, stop at the first window and pay. And then get your food at the second window. So we stopped at the first window and we paid for our food. I handed him my debit card. We paid for the food. Me and my son were talking about baseball and life, and I have no idea what we were talking about in that moment, but something happened. I'm not even sure what happened, but the car in front of us, I I believe, had ordered every hamburger they've ever made at Wendy's because it was taking forever, okay? And I'm kind of looking at the clock. I'm thinking, okay, we've got to hurry. We're going to be late. And and, and so my son and I are still talking. I didn't say anything about how long it was taking us. I didn't didn't say, man, I wish they'd hurry up there. What are they doing? I didn't say anything like that. Thank God, because of what happened. As we're talking... My son kind of looks ahead of us and he looks behind us and sees that there's a couple cars behind us and completely unprovoked in one of the greatest moments of my parenting ever. He looks at me and says, dad, why don't we pay for the car behind us? (laughs) Yes, Lord. Right. I said, all right. Awesome. You want to do that? And then he got embarrassed. He's like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I said, no, 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 if you want to pay for the car behind us, we'll do that. I said, that's great. You, Mommy and I always want to, want to do that. If we feel like we're supposed to, we get that thought in our head. We, yeah, let's, let's try to do that. He said, well, you know, whatever you think. I said, no, no, whatever you think. I said, do you, do you want to do that? I think that would be awesome. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So I knocked on the window. I'm still sitting by window number one. I knocked on the window, and the girl looks at me like I'm bothering her, obviously. And I'm trying to keep this real good Jesus spirit in me. 
And I said, ma'am, I said, we would like to pay for the car behind us. And she looked at me like I had asked her to give me all the money in her register. She said, really? I said, yeah. I said, it was my nine-year-old son's idea. We just, we just want to just pay for the car behind us. She said, okay. So I handed her my debit card again. Now, I didn't ask, what did the guy buy? <laughs> I didn't say, is he getting the rest of the hamburgers that the car in front of us left? Or I didn't ask. She swiped my card. She didn't give me a receipt. So I'm thinking, oh my God, it's going to be $1,000. She just said, that is so incredibly kind. I said, well, again, it's just, I got a, I got a good kid here. It was his idea. And so we, we finally, after three or four hours, pulled up to the second window. And we got up there, but I had left my window rolled down, obviously. And I'm listening to the conversation behind me at window number one. And I heard the girl say to the gentleman, and I'm watching it in the mirror. I heard the girl say to the gentleman when he handed her his debit card, there's no need for that, sir. The car in front of you has paid for your meal today. At which point I hear him let out this really big, bellowy kind of, (laughs) Santa Claus was behind us, I think. (laughs) And so he's laughing and he's still holding his card. I'm watching it in the mirror and he says, well, I got my card out. I guess pay for the car behind me. And I said to Cooper, I said, buddy, you may have started something. I said, the guy behind us is paying for the car behind him. At which point, Cooper's mind was blown. He said, what if nobody had to pay for their own food today? I said, that would be incredible. And it started with you. It was, it was unbelievable. And so, like, for us, absolutely, that's cool. Absolutely. So for us, we've been planning this series for a while. We've been talking about ways to do different things. We wanted to provide you an opportunity to follow the example of my nine-year-old son, Cooper. And so when you leave today, the ushers at the doors are going to be holding little bundles of these cards. And it just says, bless back. On the front, it says, it's our honor to serve you. We hope you have a great day. There's some info on the church on the back, but that's not the important thing. We're asking you to take some of these cards. There's plenty for you to take, I promise. If you want to take 10 bundles of them, take them. But they come in little, little rubber band packs of three. And what we're asking you to do is find ways this week to just love unselfishly. Expecting nothing in return to do something for someone else. Now, maybe you follow our example And maybe you go through a drive-thru and you decide to pay for the car behind you. Maybe you're standing in line or driving through line at Starbucks and you want to take out a small business loan and pay for the cup of coffee for the person behind you, right? Maybe, Maybe you know that you've gone to the same dry cleaner for years and you just want to take a gift to them and drop it off when you pick up your cleaning this week. Maybe you want to do something for your child's teacher or somebody at their school. Maybe there's a neighbor in your, in your neighborhood there, somebody on your street that's recently had a baby or you know something's happened in their life, good or bad, and you want to honor that moment and just bless them. Take them cookies if you can cook. If not, buy them and take them cookies. And you take them a card. Say, I know, man, I know life has really kind of dealt you a low blow recently. And I just want to let you know I'm, I'm praying for you. Expecting nothing in return. I just, I just want to bless you. 
If you feel like you can in a really non-weird way, give them the card as a part of it. If not, just do it and don't use the card. But just say, I want to try to figure out how to start in my life loving unselfishly. I want to do something where it could be about me, but I'm going to make it about them. Maybe a great place to start is in your own home. You know, Pastor Justin told a hilarious story last week where, where he talked about like when he, if his wife's gone and he cleans the house and she comes home and like he wants her to notice. So he's like talking to her and he's like, yeah, you want to you go in the kitchen? You need a drink of water? There's plenty of clean cups because I unloaded the dishwasher. But I mean, like whatever. Right, because there's even this selfish nature to our kindness. There's this selfish nature to our love. So maybe you just fight against every instinct that you have and you do that one chore that you and your wife or your husband hate. You're actually going to fold and put away all the laundry. You're going to clean out the dishwasher. You're going to load the dishwasher. You're going to vacuum the carpet. You're going to sweep or mop or dust or you're going to make the bed or whatever it is that would save your marriage. You're going to serve your kids. You're just going to find some unselfish way that says, listen, it could be about me, but instead I want to make it about you. I want to find some way to begin the process of learning how to love in a non-self-seeking, self-serving, selfish way. We've got a lot of things we're going to try to do as a part of this series Because we as a church, this campus in this community and our Marietta campus in that community, we want to be known as a people who just love our community. We're not looking for anything in return. We just want to say, hey, we love living here with you. We love doing life in this community with you. And so at the conclusion of this series, we've got a couple weeks left. Uh, April 13th, we finished. This is the last, last Sunday of this series. Beginning on Monday, April the 14th, we are going to continue what we started this past week. This past week, for those that may not know, we provided the concessions for the Sequoia drama production that ended just last night. And they, for three nights, did a production here and and students and teachers and and faculty members and booster club folks. And they, they did a lot of things to provide a really cool environment for those three nights. And we provided the concessions for them brownies and cookies and cupcakes and candy bars and Skittles and popcorn and all kinds of things. Mr. Parker, who's the drama director here, in an email said, like, his girlfriend's involved in drama in Atlanta, and he said the concessions might have been as good or better than any, like, professional local, local theater troupe. Like, we just, we just do it right. We just want to love them, right? Well, we want to continue that. And so beginning Monday, April the 14th, we've already gotten confirmation. We're just going to love our community. We're going to take these cards again and we're going to find ways that week just to bless our community. We're going to buy people's lunches. We're going to buy their coffee. We're going to take them gifts. We're going to do a lot of things. And that's going to be you individually just doing that in people's lives that you interact with. And then throughout the week, for those that may not know, here in Cherokee County, that's kind of a big week for schools. There's some standardized testing in the elementary schools, some of the other places. And so we're just going to try to bless the teachers. And so we're providing some handwritten thank you notes to those teachers to say thank you for investing in our kids at about four or five local area schools. We're going to go into some of the schools and we're going to provide breakfast or lunch to all of the faculty members in the school. We're going to go to our local police department and we're going to just give them some sub sandwiches throughout the week just to say, hey, thanks for protecting us. We're going to go to a local gas station. And as people are getting off work and headed to their house, 
we're going to be there at half of the pumps at that station and say, hey, before you fill up your car, let us give you some free gas to get you started. No strings attached. We just want to bless you. We just love this community and we love getting to be a part of it with you. We just want to love you. But you don't have to wait until Love Week, beginning April the 14th. I mean, if you want to sign up for those things, there's already sign-ups at the Next Steps table. You stop by there today and sign up to make breakfast sandwiches and casseroles and to help us in all the volunteering things. But this week, when you walk out, just pick up a bundle or two of these and find ways this week to bless somebody. Just to love them unselfishly and say, hey, no strings attached. Here's this free gift. Driving through Wendy's, just tell the girl, hey, listen, I just want to bless the car behind me. They don't even have to pay. I just want them to know that God's blessed me and I want to bless them in return. However you choose to bless them, however you choose to love them, however you choose to follow the example of Jesus, making it about others when it could have been about him, However you choose to follow the example of my nine-year-old when life kind of stalls you out and you just say, hey, in this moment, it could have been about me and our frustration being late for the game. And I just want to make it about the car behind me. I'm just going to find some ways this week to love unselfishly. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your love that we can't earn. We can't be good enough to get more of it bad enough to get less of it. You just love us. And so my prayer today, God, is that first and foremost, every one of us in this room would recognize your love and we would respond to that love. We would quit trying to earn that love, but we would just receive it. And God, I pray that as we pick up some cards today, they're just instruments. They're just reminders. They're just tokens for us to utilize to actually love unselfishly. So God, I pray that you would help us to bless our community. Bless the people in our own homes. Bless the people in our neighborhoods and in our schools and on our jobs. So that in some way, maybe our unselfish acts of love would illuminate your unconditional love for them. God, don't let us make it about ourselves, but let us make it about them. And God, as we move forward in this series and we look for ways to love our community and love weeks coming, God, I pray that you would help us just to truly love unselfishly, unconditionally as we demonstrate your love and respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray.